Welcome to a page of science. Today we'll be reading Solid State Physics by Ashcroft and Merman. Copyright 1976 by B.W. Saunders Company. Chapter 19, page 1. In chapter 7 we discussed the classification of solids on the basis of the symmetry of their crystal structures. The categories described here are very important, but are based entirely on a single aspect of the solid, its geometrical symmetries. Such a classification scheme is blind to important structural aspects of a solid that affects its physical, even if not its purely geometrical, properties. Thus, within each of the seven crystal systems, can one find solids exhibiting the full range of electrical, mechanical, and optical properties. In this chapter, we describe another, less rigorous, classification scheme, which is not based on symmetry, but emphasizes physical properties. The scheme is based on the configuration of the valence electrons. Footnote 1. As elsewhere in this book, we take the view that solids are composed of ion cores, i.e. nuclei, and those electrons so strongly bound as to be negatively perturbed from their atomic configurations by their environment in the solid, and valence electrons, i.e. those electrons whose configuration in the solid may differ significantly from that in the isolated atom. As emphasized earlier, the distinction between core and valence electrons is one of convenience, in metals, especially in simple metals, it is frequently enough to consider only the conduction electrons as valence electrons, including all others in the rigid ion core. In transition metals, however, it may be of considerable importance to consider the electrons in the highest D shells as valence rather than core electrons. In saying that the classification scheme is based on the valence electrons, we mean only that it depends on those aspects of the atomic electronic configuration that are significantly altered when the atoms are assembled together into the solid. As we have seen in chapter 8, the difference between metals and insulators depends on whether there are, for metals, or are not, for insulators, any partially filled energy bands. Footnote 2. The distinction also depends on the validity of the independent electron approximation, or, less stringently, on the validity of the quasi-particle picture. See chapter 17. Imperfect crystals at zero temperature, provided that the independent electron approximation is valid, this is a completely rigorous criteria, leading to two unambiguous categories. Footnote 3. At non-zero temperatures, the distinction may be blurred in insulators with small energy gaps, because of thermal excitation of electrons into the conduction band. Such solids are known as intrinsic semiconductors. Impurities in an otherwise insulating solid may also contribute electrons that are easily thermally excited into the conduction band, leading to extrinsic semiconductors. The characteristic properties of semiconductors are discussed in chapter 28. From the point of view of this chapter, which is concerned only with the perfect crystals at T equals zero, all semiconductors are insulators. The basis for these two categories is the distribution of electrons, not in real space, but in wave vector space. Nowhere near as rigorous a criteria can be found to distinguish metals from insulators based on the distribution of electrons in real space. One can only make the qualitative observation that the electronic distribution in metals is generally not nearly so concentrated in the vicinity of the ion cores as it is in insulators. This is illustrated in figure 19.1, where the wave functions of the occupied electronic levels in atomic sodium and atomic neon are plotted about two centers whose separation is equal to the nearest neighbor separation in the solid. The electronic density in sodium remains appreciable even midway between the atoms, but it is quite small in neon. 
If one tried to construct from this an argument that solid neon should be insulating and solid sodium conducting, the chain of thought would be something like this. Appreciable overlap of atomic wave functions suggests, from the point of view of tight binding theory, chapter 10, the presence of broad bands, which in turn leads to the possibility of considerable band overlap, and hence metallic properties. One is thus led rather quickly back to K-space, where the only real satisfactory criteria can be given. This book is commonly referred to as Ashcroft and Merman. It's a classic text that, even though published a couple decades ago, is still the core textbook that new material scientists are taught. So what exactly are they talking about here? Most of the previous chapters in the book pertain to older theories of material science. And what is material science? It's the study and understanding of why materials have the properties they do. Why is gold such a good conductor? Why is gold softer than iron? These are all things that we try to understand from very basic physical concepts. Material science can also help explain why uh, alloys have different properties than pure metals. If you mix iron with aluminum, what are its properties? If it's 10% aluminum and 90% iron, can you predict the properties of a metal before creating it and studying it? Many of the older theories uh, ordered the materials based on their crystal structure. Unfortunately, that's not enough to explain if something would be a conductor or an insulator. That means, does it conduct electrical current or does it not conduct electrical current? And to show you why this is complicated to answer, let's just look at carbon. So let's look at one material. Carbon can order in a crystal lattice and become a diamond. A diamond is an insulator, but a carbon nanotube something that was theorized some decades ago and after it was created in a laboratory, is an incredible conductor of electricity. Why is the same material in two different structures, two different crystal shapes, a conductor and an insulator? And what Ashcroft and Merman are getting at here, and what they're explaining is that if you go to quantum mechanics and you look at how, in the simplest term, the orbits of the electrons around the nucleus of the atom, uh, how those electron orbitals overlap, and how that's related to the spacing in the structure of the crystal, then you can determine if a certain crystal structure will be a conductor or an insulator. And they point out this is not a rigorous thing. You can't say, here are the rules. It's you have to work it out on a case-by-case -case basis. It's not a classification scheme that material scientists were used to using. They were used to saying, oh, it's, it's a cubic crystal or it's a hexagonal crystal, which is basically just what shape does the crystal make in three dimensions. So it's, it's very different. But this has huge implications because... Just like the diamonds and the carbon nanotubes, we're now in a state of material science where we're creating materials. We're creating alloys and crystal structures and 
semiconductors that go into computers are based on this kind of model where you understand how adding certain atoms here and there in specific arrangements can alter the way the electric current will flow through something which is atomic in scale and that has massive implications for every field of material science that's on the cutting edge of research right now so ashcroft and merman good stuff go to soundcloud.com slash a page of science for more